you know, I really like this quote that you have here, one of your articles. We don't plant churches. We plant the gospel and allow it to redeem peoples. As they become obedient to the gospel, then worship emerges out of their culture and uh, is acceptable to the culture within the limits set by the word of God. Welcome to the CDM Podcast, a production of Contagious Disciple Making. We exist to catalyze movement through coaching, community, and communication. We created this podcast to help everyday Christians become world-changing disciple-makers. Hello all, and welcome to the CDM Podcast. Like, share, five-star rate, and review this podcast. You can listen to our full premium content by becoming a $5 a month supporter on our Patreon page. That's patreon.com slash faithworks, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash faithworks, or click the link in the description. To those of you who support this podcast, thank you. Your support helps us to put tools in the hands of men and women like you who want to experience a disciple-making movement in their own neighborhood. So today I'm with David Watson again. Hi, David. Good to see you. Hi, Rebecca. How are you doing? All right. Uh, We're going to be talking about today, uh, really out of a couple of articles you wrote a little while ago, back in 2009, of why denominations can't complete the Great Commission. I think this is still an important topic for today, especially as we look to, you know, continue to ask missions organizations to adopt disciple making as we look to fulfill the Great Commission, not just abroad now, but also inside the United States. So, uh, you know, when we are looking at this topic of denominations can't complete the Great Commission, David, I think one of the key things has been that the answer to a lot of persons' questions, can DMM work in all cultures? Can it be able to do that? And a lot of it, people don't often see how that relates to the, the denominational question um, because of how it adopts according to local culture. In fact, I think you mentioned in this uh, in one of these articles is that when you often train church planters or discuss what you've seen in, in, in disciple making, you know, the first question you hear is, what kind of churches are you planting anyway? <laughs> yeah, this is a, one of those hot topics that uh, continues to be hot, yeah, even... I've had this discussion even this month already again. It's, uh, it's an ongoing discussion, and, and it's a valid discussion because people, people love their churches. They love their denominations. They, mm-hmm. love, they love the feel and touch and all that, that goes on with that. But it's, the, the question is, is everyone who wants to go to a church is already going. Mm-hmm. So our church planning is about people who don't go to your church. There you go. That's what it's about. And if they if they if they wanted to go to your church, they'd already be going there. Right, right. This is so not a the first <laughs> the first step is is that uh, to assume that our church will appeal to every other person on the planet is one of those uh, false assumptions that's hard for us to swallow. We love our church. Why wouldn't everybody love our church? Absolutely. And in fact, you put in here a statistic uh, in there. It says no matter what denominational stance is comfortable to you, it will only appeal to about 5% of the population at most. And at everyone most. who's, yeah, at most. And everyone who is interested is already a member. And so, you know, that the idea is that how, you know, if we're trying to fulfill the Great Commission, you know, we, we want to reach much more than just the 5%. Correct. And 
the the basic population, uh, world population of Christians has been remaining at 33% for the last 100 years. So that 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 number is is stagnant. It just sat there at 33% as a as a population has blossomed on the planet. So people will point, well, our churches are growing, yes, but the population's growing and we're growing with the population. And yet here in America in 1997, 77% of people said, I belong to, and they gave it a name of a church they belong to, whether it was a denominational church or a denomination-like church, they belong to a church, 77% in 97. Today, it's 44% of Americans say they belong to any church. Now, more than that, go to church. Don't, don't misunderstand. The stat is not how many are attending, it's right. how many belong. How many say they've gone through the that, process that, that. of joining the church? Right. right. So even, even in our context today, we're looking at a, at a, in North America where our focus is in this podcast and, and some, a lot of the work I'm doing right now, we're looking at a system that has several broken pieces to it. Mm. Uh, just the first one, the number of seminary graduates. Yeah. We can't even keep up with the need for professional clergymen inside our existing churches with the current graduates. Right. And, and that's, that's just another thing. If we, if we have to have clergy that are trained through a seminary model, then what we're saying is, is that we're limited to church growth is limited to how many graduates out of seminary who come. But most of those graduates are replacing retiring uh, ministers. Right. So you're, you're just you're, replacing, not reproducing, and, and in not the true growing sense. exactly. So when we when we look at the entire denominational system, listen, I spent fifty years in a denomination. Mm-hmm. I was pastor of churches in that denomination. I was a missionary for that denomination, and I spent fifty years in that denomination. When when I when I look back on those fifty years, uh, until I decided to move away from everything has to be defined by my denominational structure to everything has to be defined by the word of God. And and then things started changing to the, to the point that my denomination even questioned whether I was still a part of the denomination ultimately fired me in 1997 Mm -hmm. because my missiology wasn't correct for, for what they wanted to say missiology was doing. Mm. And that was the year we planted uh, 4,000 churches. Well, so, and, and I want to highlight for that uh, a moment. Whenever we become more attached to our denomination than we do fulfilling the Great Commission, that's what happens. We cut ourselves off from, from the significant work simply because it doesn't fit into a particular box of what we are looking for as a result. Well, and the same goes with a, a particular, deno- not just denominational stance, but theological stance. Right. When, when, when we say we're going to take a theological stance, what we've just done is we put on shades that filter out a significant part of the Bible. Right. And uh, my favorite quote is from Kierkegaard, the reason we have theology is to give ourselves permission to disobey God. And, right. And that is not the intent in theology. It's no one's intent to say, I'm, I'm doing this to disobey yeah. God. But what it is doing is saying, these are passages of Scripture that are okay, and these are passages of Scripture that aren't okay for us. Or they so somehow they mean differently than what I what you say it means. Yeah. Yeah, and they focus on those passages and leave the others alone. And that does several things. One, it doesn't take in the whole counsel of the Word of God. And secondly, when people you're trying to bring to Christ start reading the Bible and say, but the Bible says this, and you said this, and they're not the same thing. Mm-hmm. 
So, for instance, I, I, I was raised in a denomination that was 100% no alcohol. Mm-hmm, right. And then when they read in the Bible where Paul is giving Timothy instructions, take a little alcohol for your health. And, and, and people are saying, well, wait a minute, the Bible says we should drink alcohol for our health. And, and then, because there's all kinds of hurdles, people jump over trying to describe that. But mostly today, the alcohol issue is being pushed to the side and not discussed. It's just being left alone. <laughs> We've given up on that. But actually, I, to, to that particular point you just brought up, I, it, really what it shows is that not only are there passages that people struggle with it based upon that, but also the application of them. Yeah, I had someone ask me once and say, so, you know, a person... are you saying, how can you say that that obedience for one person is different than the next? It should be the same. So, you know, one person should, if they say that they should not drink, how can they be just as right as someone says that they should drink or the shorter shouldn't drink? And I said, well, I mean, there's a lot of factors there. Are they an alcoholic? Because if they're an alcoholic, they probably shouldn't drink. Well, the Bible says clearly don't get drunk. (laughs) Right. Right, don't get drunk. Very clearly, don't get drunk. So, in other words, there can be two answers that are correct from even what the Bible is trying to communicate. And the other thing we have to look at is the health circumstances. Mm -hmm. Even today, in places that I travel, if you drink water that's placed on the table, you're going to get sick. Right, right. And so, even in those countries, they will pour a little wine into the water before they give it to their children because the alcohol in the wine kills. kills. The yeah. bacteria that's living in the water. Exactly. And, so, and those practices have been around. People just realize I drink fermented drinks, I get less sick than when I don't drink fermented drinks. And the thing is, is that I, I know there's probably some people sitting here saying like, ah, that, you know, drink, not drink isn't important to me. I don't fall into this has to be my denomination kind of realm. But even in one of your articles, it said, you know, some people might deny the fact that they have any type of foibles and stuff like that. But just think about those things uh, or any type of doctrine or practice in which you're unwilling to compromise on and or and or use to criticize others. And that might be an indication of some type of theological or something that you're saying it has to be like this or it's just wrong. And I have to teach this to people. Uh, but the reality is, is that we're when we're in DMM, we don't dictate those specificities about how to do obedience. Yes, but we also say obedience is a core value. Right. So that that's that's the difference is that that our core values, our primary core values, are not based on a theological set. It's based on a biblical core set. And that's that's where I developed them. A lot of them years ago was saying this this is a core value in the Bible. It's held from Genesis to Revelation. You, you, you just you can't get away from it. If God speaks, we do what He says. We listen to God. If we don't listen to God, we're going to get into trouble. And all that is that's I mean those are core values from from Genesis to Revelation. Absolutely. And and that means we have to analyze when what where has God spoken to us that is something we have to do. If we don't do it, we're in trouble. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've, I've identified over 150 passages in the Bible that are must-dos. Mm-hmm. And right. we, if we don't, we don't live with those must-dos, must then we're going to mess up something. And interestingly enough, those 150 passages, if I put them in front of people, 
Most people can't tell you the Ten Commandments, much less 150 things that the Bible right. says about But they might tell you your obedience. favorite doctrinal or, or denominational practice. <laughs> perhaps, perhaps. And, and uh, like I said, I, I grew up in denominational world. I served in a denominational world, and I still love the denominational church that I was a part of. But, but it doesn't keep me from understanding that uh, once you take a denominational stance, which is a doctrinal stance, and our doctrine is a combination of the Bible and our historical experience as an organization. Mm-hmm. Right. So in, in my case, the reason the hard stance on alcohol is because the, the church was birthed inside poverty in the 1700s. And the result was that alcoholism was what was destroying families and destroying the community. And there were no uh, AA programs back then. There were no, right. no places to go to get, get out of alcoholism. And alcoholism was a big deal. So the church just took this hard stance. We don't drink alcohol. We don't sell alcohol. We don't work for places that sell alcohol. And they have this long doctrinal stance about alcohol, which was appropriate probably in the 17th century. And for that place. But today may not be appropriate because our, our understanding of alcoholism is certainly better I'm not sure it's any less of a problem, but now we have more aids to help with the problem inside and outside the church. Mm-hmm. And, and, there, and there are better aids, actually, to help with uh, alcoholism. And the recidivism right now is, is much lower than it was years ago when they try to get people out of alcoholism. But all that being said, every, every denomination and every doctrinal statement has things that emphasizes and things that de-emphasizes in the Word of God. Yes. And that's that's part of uh, part of what we have to understand is when when we're going to another culture, what we may de-emphasize may be the very things they need to emphasize. Oh, that's such a good point. Yeah. And and so we will sit there and we keep missing them. You know, we're we're shooting bullets, but we're not hitting anything mm-hmm. because we're not emphasizing the part of the scripture that was written specifically to talk to them. Right. Right. And that's that's what I understand is that the the Bible is written to mankind. Not every part of the Bible is going to touch the heart of every, every, every person. It's going to touch the hearts differently. And the Discovery Bible study, that's the reason we ask the question, how will you, how will you obey this passage? Obey the passage, yes. And it's not saying, I'm going to tell you how to do this. I'm asking you, what's God saying to you about this passage? What's God saying to you? And I believe the Holy Spirit's at work, even with lost people, when, when we're right there and, and dealing with it. So right. as we as we start thinking through these things and working through these things, as a as a church planter, as a leader of denominational or leader of non denominational work or leader of what some people would call parachurch work was a terminology I really really do not like at all, um, because I am not parachurch. I am the church, and that's <laughs> that's the thing that everyone needs to understand is that we are the church. And our responsibility is to make sure that church is is being functional at all aspects of church wherever we live. Well, and and you really pointed it back to the heart of this is that you asked them, how will you obey this? And so this is why it works in every culture, because we're not trying to force our culture about or how to be able specifically to obedient on somebody else but yet they are being able to apply it to their local context. And that's why it could, we had a podcast on this not too long ago. That's why it can apply to all these situations. But a lot of times pe- people who are, have been traditional in, in Christian ministry or something, it, 
it's kind of a, has an aversion to this trust to let that go and say like, I'm not going to have, I'm not going to dictate to them this specific governance or cultural uh, outcomes or, you know, exactly how or what size of the church that it's going to be. I'm going to let that go and let the Holy Spirit uh, teach them how to be guided by the Holy Spirit, which will, we believe, as we, the Bible says, will guide them into all truth. The other, the other thing that we have is that many of us who have struggled with any, anything in the Word of God are going to emphasize what we struggle with. Mm-hmm. That's because right. if we're struggling with it, other people must be struggling with it too. And, and that's, so that's, just, that's just human nature is we focus on the things that we're struggling with and, and it's almost it's it's almost comical to me sometimes as I watch people teaching and training and say, okay, I can tell you every one of their sins after watching them train one time. It's whatever they focus on. <laughs> it's what they focus on, what they talk about, what they put a lot of emphasis into. Instead of saying, there is the counsel of the word of God. Our job is to know know the word of God. And it's not to know it in part, but to know it in full, to understand the, the difference in the covenants in the Old Testament and the New Testament to understand the fulfillment of the covenants in Christ and his life and, and our relationship there. But that doesn't, just the fulfillment of the covenant doesn't mean the covenant is not still in existence. The right. covenant is in existence, but it's been fulfilled. It means all the qualities of the covenant are there. Now, our job, if we're living inside a covenant like that, is to say we have to, we have to live out this covenant in all its facets, not just some of its facets. And then there's the understanding that some of this stuff is about corporate life. It's, it, not all of us are going to have the same skill sets. Not all of us are going to have the same calling. Not all of us are going to have the same understanding. But when you put us all together, we're much better than we are when we're separate. Mm-hmm. And that's another part of understanding is that group consciousness, whatever you want to decide that to mean, is going to be more powerful than individual consciousness. Mm -hmm. And group obedience is going to be much broader than individual obedience. Right. And and this is why the the Bible tells us to confess our sins one to another and to be able to have this community of, of cooperation and obedience. But we've kind of done that very differently in the West, that we've made obedience so private. That, you know, we can't speak into each other's lives. We can't, you know, this is all about how I personally do in my life. We're almost not even talking about it. I think most of us don't even talk about specificities of obedience in that regard. But it's really something we should be leaning into and saying, hey, we're here to help each other obey what the Bible is telling us. So, you know, uh, really, uh, you know, as uh, I was reading your, your article, getting to the heart of what this is. You know, when someone asks you, what kind of church are you planting anyway? You answer the question differently than what people normally would think. Now, normally, and you kind of writ here, normally people, you know, would say that they require some type of strict or loose adherence to their doctrine or practices that, you know, that, and the fact you even say at best, you know, doctrine is a subset of what the scripture has to stay in at worst contains extra biblical teachings and practices based on their church history. So all worship styles, leadership styles, government governance styles are mostly extra biblical, even though all denominations will claim a biblical background for their practices. So when people ask you their, 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 that question, they're thinking specific church size, 
pastor led or elder led they're thinking what music choice are they doing this you know that specific how are they baptizing people you know that that's what they're they're kind of thinking like what kind of churches are you trying to plant but you come back and say well the kind are the ones that reproduce yeah and and that's uh the reason behind that is my i have basically one metric for everything and that's reproduction Mm-hmm. You know, people say I'm a believer, and I say, "Are you reproducing more believers?" There, 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 there's a question there that fills my mind. I'm a, I'm a disciple. Are you reproducing more disciples? Uh, I'm a church member. Are you re- reproducing more church members? Uh, I'm a church. Are you making more churches? I'm a denomination. Are you making more denominations? I mean, there, there. Mm-hmm. The question is not a stagnant approach to this, but a dynamic mm-hmm. approach that says, if it's not growing, it's got a problem. If it's not multiplying, it's got a problem. Exactly. If it's not multiplying, if it's not growing, if it's not becoming ubiquitous in some sense everywhere you want to go, then it becomes regional or local or something like that. Then you have to say, why has it stopped growing? Why has it stopped becoming dynamic enough to change people's hearts and minds in other places? Uh, We don't lack the resources to reach the entire world for Christ. We don't lack those resources at all. Mm -hmm. Uh, what we lack is a commitment to live out the word of God in places that we don't want to live uh, right. with people that we don't want to reach. And our lack you know? of commitment to actually each person being a, a, a disciple maker and not just a specific clergy or missionary that does that. Yeah. When, when we had nine 11, I was uh, actively involved in Muslim evangelism, strongly, deeply involved in Muslim evangelism globally. I actually had, donors who said, I can't give to you anymore because those, those Muslims deserve to die and go to hell. Mm. Now, they were taking the act of, of a group of terrorists who belong to a very narrow faction of Islam and applying it to over a billion people and saying mm. these people don't deserve to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's interesting because even the Quran, it says they should know the Injil, the gospel. Mm-hmm. And we have, we can all go, we can talk openly about the gospel to a Muslim anywhere in the world. And they understand that that's quite okay because that's part of their teaching from the Quran. What we don't come to a place of saying is that the, the Bible, the Injil, makes commands upon us that, that we are obligated and, and like repent, like believe and be baptized, like become the kind of person that you can be by being washed completely free of all the history that you might have in order to walk in a new way and and understanding that uh, we're expected to walk in a different way. It's throughout the writings of Paul. It's certainly, it's certainly implied in all the, the writings of the, the, the gospels. I mean, when Jesus called his disciples said, come follow me and they were walking, they weren't, they weren't mm-hmm. flying anywhere or driving in a chariot anywhere. They were walking everywhere they went. Mm-hmm. But the, the whole thing that we're looking at here is as, as we are moving the gospel to places, what we really are is gospel planters. Yes. Uh, I, I'm, if, we, if we move the gospel and train people to, to know and obey the gospel, and I mean by the gospel, I'm saying the whole Bible now in this context when, yeah, when we train people to know what God wants them to do and do it, mm-hmm. 
And, and that's the expectation that is set of all new believers. If you're, going to, if you're going to follow Christ, you have a responsibility to these things. Mm-hmm. And when you, when you share those things and, and those get planted first, mm-hmm. then they start doing a, they have a different rate of multiplication than if you're trying to build a building. Thanks for listening to the CDM podcast. To hear part two, become a supporter on our Patreon page. You can find the link in the description. For coaching or other resources, connect with us at ContagiousDiscipleMaking.com.